The book of James, James chapter 2 is where we're going to be. I should hear lots of pages flipping. Oh, I really hope that you guys follow along with, with us in the Bible. You know, I could just stand up here and, and teach you guys, but you, if you know, if you've been with us, then you know there's often times where I kind of reference, hey, look down at verse 2, and then if you don't have a Bible, you're not going to be able to look down at verse 2, and then you're going to be sad, and then it's going to be sad, okay? So James chapter 2. We're looking at a message today entitled Playing Favorites, Playing Favorites. And we're going to be looking at the first uh, half of James chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 13. Now, there's a story uh, that went viral on Facebook a few years ago uh, that was found out to be made up. Uh, but the principle of the story is rather intriguing. It was about a large church that was in a pastoral transition. And upon the Sunday that they were going to introduce the new senior pastor uh, to the congregation, the story went that unknown to the people, uh, the new senior pastor showed up that day, not in a suit and tie, uh, but dressed as someone who looked homeless, uh, hair messed up, fake beard on. Uh, you know, raggedy, dirty clothes. And the story goes on that uh, as he shows up to church that day, only a handful of people uh, even acknowledged him while even others gave him dirty looks upon other mistreatments that day. And so when the elders of the church uh, introduced the new pastor, uh, he, he came up with all his ripped clothes and, uh, you know, messy hair and took off his beard and, uh, and began to share what he encountered that day and, and had them turn and shared on this very passage. Now, uh, this story is untrue, but it does make you think, it does make you consider, uh, you know, what would your treatment uh, that day be of a person like that, uh, someone who would be considered uh, poor uh, compared to someone who would be considered rich or, or well-known. And this is kind of the, the topic for today, uh, viewing people differently than God views them. You see, there's a very sharp contrast with how the world looks at people and how we, according to the Bible, because of the mind and heart of God, uh, should look at people. And so last week, uh, if you were with us, we talked about how you and I are to live by the word of God. Remember, we touched on uh, what it means uh, to not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer. Do you remember when we talked about how if you hear but don't do, that you actually now are deceiving yourself? Right, we talked about the American Idol example of being uh, self-deceived, delusional, to think that everything is okay, even in reality when it is not, and how you and I are to take heed to what we hear. Right, If the Bible says this is how you should live, then it shouldn't just be something we acknowledge as true, but something that we take and adopt into our lives to put into practice. And so that fact now continues on uh, as what we read today. The goal of today is not simply to know something, but to know something in order that we might do something and it would affect our lives. And so uh, our next study next week uh, after today's will be about faith 
without works is dead. The reality that if you say you have faith, but nothing in your life shows that you have faith, uh, it, it is a dead faith, meaning it's not real. And so in between these two powerful truths of being a doer of the word and uh, the reality of faith without works is dead comes this, this example of something that you and I ought to aim uh, and shoot for. And so today uh, we are talking about the sin of playing favorites and treating people different based upon some maybe economic, some social status, or some way they look and not based upon the law of God to love our neighbor, whomever they might be. And there's a lot of things that fall into this category, and we'll speak about some of them. Uh, one of them, no doubt, uh, is the hot topic, topic button, hot button topic, there you go, hot button topic of, of racism and skin color. You see, the Bible is a, one of the earliest and strongest proponents of why racism is ridiculous, and that's not the study today. But it's also the reality that God says, don't look at people like that. Don't look at people for outward appearances, whatever they might be, whether it's, again, social, whether it's skin color, uh, whatever it might be. And so James addresses this because this was an actual problem uh, to the Jewish believers that he is writing to. Uh, you're going to notice that throughout this passage today that there are times when he's very personal, uh, where he warns and rebukes them as if this was something that they were partaking in. And so we should remember from the Gospels how the Pharisees were often those uh, who would play favorites, right? Remember? Uh, they would look down upon people. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The reason that they passed by on the other side uh, was, was because of outward reasons of who that person might have been. And did this thinking, I wonder, make it uh, make its way into now these Jewish Christians following Jesus? What we're going to find here is that James doesn't hold back. And so let's, let's dive in. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there and sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. 
But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law of, as transgressors. Forever, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who is shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless the teaching and the preaching of your word, the study of your scriptures that you've given to us. We pray that you would give us revelation from heaven, Lord, that these things would get down into the depths of our heart, Lord, and and for any of us, if there's any way that we are playing favorites, we are showing partiality, Lord, would you reveal those things, convict us uh, in our personal lives that we might adjust by the power of your Holy Spirit to live a life that represents you well. And so we love you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We're gonna break this up into a a few different categories today. And the first one you can note down is that James comes out the gate uh, with the expectation and the example. Uh, He gives the expectation and then he gives an example of what he's talking about. James clearly and articulately Uh, lays out here in verse one, uh, as he moves from being a doer of the word, uh, and he lays it out. Look at verse one. The expectation is simple. If you have faith in Jesus, then you shouldn't show partiality to people. If you have faith in Jesus, then you shouldn't show partiality to to people. He uses the word hold there. Look there in verse one. He says, if you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus, then this shouldn't be a reality. Hold, it means to have, right? It means to possess. Uh, And he says that you can't hold both of these together. You can't play favorites, but also hold fast to Jesus Christ. It's like trying to hold a cat and a dog in each arm. It's probably just not going to work out very well. Or it's kind of like when you go into the grocery store and you think that you can hold everything, right? And then you get halfway in the trip and you realize, you know, mom is just putting, you know, uh, can after apple after cereal box. And all of a sudden you're like, I really should have grabbed the car. And there comes a point when you can't hold anything more. Right? When the reality of what you're holding, that if some, one more thing gets put on there, it's all going to crash. And James here says, you can't hold both of these things together. You can't play favorites and have faith in Jesus. It doesn't mesh. It does not mix. Now, he uses the word partiality. Everyone say partiality. It's not a word that we often use, but we do use the word partial, right? Uh, and... This word means to show favoritism. It is to be partial towards someone compared to someone else. It is favoritism. To favor one person or group over another in the way they are treated. 
Oftentimes, it's based upon outward appearances and social statuses rather than someone's inward character. Uh, the King James Version, right? We have the New King James Version. You know, what, you know what the difference between the New King James and the King James Version is? It's newer, okay? Uh, but the King James Version, it, it says the respecter of persons. And I kind of like how it puts that. That partiality is to be a respecter of persons, the idea of prejudice and discrimination, not just with race, but with many other factors as well. You know, we live in a world that shows partiality without apology. It's all about how you look. It's all about what you have. And it's all about who you are. And how do I know this? Well, have you ever seen where a crowd realizes someone famous is walking by? Right, what do they do? They flock to the person. They want to give them right free stuff. They want them, them they, they start acting completely different. There was a guy once who in New York City, you can actually go watch a YouTube video, it's quite hilarious. Uh, there was this random guy, but he was in New York City. He hired a security detail and an entourage just to walk him around New York City. And because he was no one, he, he was not a famous artist, he did not produce music, he was not an actor, uh, he's not even like a Kardashian, okay? He was no one. And he hires a security detail, gets an entourage, and people just start flocking to him. And they start literally lying, like, oh, we love you so much, will you sign my forehead? And, and, they, and they literally started like getting pictures with him, and, and he was no one. But there was this appearance, and we have in us this tendency uh, for that same kind of thinking. But this type of thinking and mentality that's in the world should not make its way into the church of Jesus Christ. It should be different here, because God's way of doing things is flipped compared to the world. See, God's not impressed with oftentimes the things that we're impressed with. He's not impressed with the outward pomp and show. He's not impressed with someone who's famous, someone who's rich, someone who is powerful. You see, we know this from the teaching of Jesus, that the greatest in heaven will be the servant of all. It is completely reversed and flipped according to the government of God, not the government of this world. Now, this isn't to say that you and I can't have like best friends uh, because we're showing favoritism or, or people we enjoy hanging out with. It's okay to have people uh, that you like living life with as long as that person and your favor towards that person, which is okay, right? Like I got married to Haley because I found her to be the favorite girl that I've ever met. And so I married her. Now, is that me? Well, you're showing partiality by getting married. It's like, no, okay, it's okay. But, but our friendships and relationships with other people shouldn't cause us to then treat other people badly, right? That is when playing favorites becomes sin. When, when you have your group of friends, and this happens within the church, and it can happen anywhere because we're people, where you have your group of friends, praise God that God has given you this group of people, it's awesome. But that should not 
now make you treat other people differently uh, by neglecting them or not even acknowledging them. This isn't to say that we should allow anyone and everyone to serve in ministry. You see, not showing partiality doesn't mean we don't use God-given wisdom and discernment um, in making decisions. But listen, the main reason that favoritism should not be a quality of the Christian is that it isn't a quality of God, okay? Romans chapter two, verse 11, very clear. I love how clear this verse is. For there is no partiality with God, none, nada, zip, zero, no. It doesn't say some, it says there's no partiality with God. God doesn't, doesn't favor some people more than others. Yes. Yeah, so there's people, right? It happens in the Bible. Noah was one of them. It says, so he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, when God favors someone, God desires to favor everyone. The idea of favors in the Bible, this is such a good question, is, is grace. So Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's kind of like this. Imagine God in heaven pouring out his favor in a pitcher, okay? And it's just coming down. Now, God says, come under the fountain of my favor and my grace. I want to show it to you. And so some people, they say, oh, okay, that sounds good. I'll get under that. And so they get showered with God's favor and grace and kindness and goodness. And then there are others that say, no, I'm good over here in the dry desert where there's nothing. And that's okay. You can live your life like that. You see, to find favor in the eyes of the Lord, anyone can come. It is, it is to anyone that God says, I want to show favoritism to you, just like everyone else. Uh, but it's not in a way that's, that's saying, I don't want you to come, only, you know, and, and that's where I think the idea that there's no partiality, partiality with God destroys the thinking that God assigns some people to heaven and some people to hell. It's not true. God says anyone can come. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 says, for the Lord your God is God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. You see, God is not wavered in his treatment of people based upon any external circumstances, including a bribe, meaning that you can't bribe God to treat you differently. And you can't bribe God to treat someone else differently. God says, I am not partial in my judgment, in my treatment. And because you and I are followers of God seeking to be made into the image of Christ, we must adapt ourselves and ask God that he would do this in our lives that we might not hold the faith that we have in Jesus with favoritism, with partiality. Now, after this clear expectation, James gives a very clear example of what he's referring to. Look there in verse two and three. Uh, we read it a moment ago, and James goes on from this expectation to give this really clear example. And James talk, talks about how there are two different men. And we don't know if this was a hypothetical situation. We don't know if this was actually something maybe James saw in one of the churches. But he describes that two different men come into the gathering of believers. This is not in the world, this is a church gathering. 
and one would be described as a rich man having fancy jewelry and nice clothing, while the other would be described as poor, uh, being dirty and most likely smelly. And upon entrance, the rich man would be greeted by the ushers and, and said, come, we have a seat for you up front and, and, and treat them with, with respect and acknowledgement. And, 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 then, and then the poor man comes in and says, well, you can stand over there. Or here, he, notice this footstool. Here, we have a footrest. You don't really deserve a seat. But here's like, this is where people put their feet. You could sit there maybe. And there's kind of this, this sharp contrast. And he said, imagine if that were to happen. I mean, imagine if, if there were two students that came in, one that was, you know, this like, I don't know, star actress person that, you know, look, looked put together. And then there was maybe a student who, who, who seemed like they didn't take a shower for a few days, was a little bit ratty in their clothes. And imagine us as a leadership treating them different. Imagine us as a junior high ministry treating them different of like, here, you can sit in the snack bar. You can't sit in the, you smell. Like you, you can sit in the, over there. Um, no, right? I, I'm, I'm hoping that every one of you realizes that you get treated the same because we as a leadership seek to not be partial in our judgments and treatments of you nor anyone else. And so we then, as a body of Christ, this should be something we adopt into every circumstance, including your treatment of each other, regardless of outward things. And then James gets very personal, okay? He gives that example of, hey, imagine this happened. Then he says, look at this, look at this reality, he says, have you not shown partiality? Look at verse four. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's a rhetorical question, which is, right? A rhetorical question has an obvious answer. And the obvious answer is, yeah, you've shown partiality by doing that. And you've become a judge with evil intentions. Now look at verse four and notice that repeated word of partiality. It's actually a different word in the original language. That word partiality in verse four means to mark something as different. It's to distinguish. Partiality in verse one means favoritism. Partiality in verse four means to mark something as different. It's this idea that, that we are so good at making distinctions classes of people uh, for whatever the reason may be. And we see someone and we put them into this, we, we look at their distinction and we make this difference and we say, you go here or I don't talk to you because this is how you are. Or man, I really wanna talk to you because of this. It is not good. Because in Jesus, all these distinctions, these differences that the world not only sees but acknowledges are not found in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter three, verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I love this verse. It's not saying that if you become a Christian, you lose your Jewishness or you lose your uh, freeness, or you lose your femaleness. It's not saying you lose those things, but that in Jesus, none of those things make a difference in the sense of how you are treated. 
It isn't that those things don't exist in Jesus, but that they don't carry the same kind of weight in the world. Why well, I'm a Greek, why well, I'm a male, why well, I'm a slave, or I'm free. Those things don't matter in Jesus. So it, it, it's a, it was the first time in this culture that, that the same people could gather together under the united reality of one person, and that person is Jesus. You see, regardless of who you are, you are treated differently within the body of Christ. At least you should be. See, ground zero is found at the cross. There's no one better than because of these things or any other things. And so we ought to live that within our life of how we as Christians treat people because we're in Christ, all right? Make sense? Sweet, so that's the expectation and the example. And then in verses five through seven, we see the reason and the reality. He, he kind of uh, doesn't hold back here and, and, and gives kind of more of the reason why he is encouraging the believers to live this way. And then he's, he's gonna give the reality of, of what they are doing to which they are not seeing for themselves. So there in verse five, notice he says, listen. Like, what were they doing before? Well, I, I hope they were listening, but he comes to this point where he says, listen, because he doesn't just want them to hear this. He wants them to take this personally. In a sense, he, he is telling them there in verse five, he says, listen, meaning it, this is coming to a point. Take what I'm saying and hear it with intentionality. And so uh, we see once again, James uses a rhetorical question to bring home an important truth. Remember, rhetorical question is a question posed with an obvious answer, okay? And so look there in verse five. He says, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? What's the answer to that question? Yes, it's a resounding yes. It's an obvious yes. Yes, God does not choose based upon your, your bank account. God does not choose based upon anything else other than actually being poor in spirit, being humble, coming to him and willing to forsake all else, right? If you forsake everything in this world, you would be considered poor. And God says, you have to be willing to forsake all else to come to me. And that God doesn't choose, he doesn't go around saying, man, who would be the best Christian? Ooh, this person would be a really good Christian because they have lots of power and lots of money. Now, do powerful, wealthy people get saved at times? Praise God, yes. Anyone can come under that fountain of favor, remember. But what we find in the scriptures, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, he says that there's, there's not many wise and strong and powerful and rich people called. In fact, God kind of likes choosing foolish things. God likes choosing the things that would, in the world's eye, be considered shameful. Notice there, he says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, the ways of the world, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Why? But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things which are of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things are why that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
it isn't that the rich aren't able to be Christians, but oftentimes those of wealth and status can have what they feel is no need for the kingdom of God. You come to them with a gospel and you say, you need to follow Jesus. And they say, why? I'm doing pretty good without him. Until, and, and that's why it is so important when we preach the gospel that we say, it's not about what you have in this life. It's about what is coming in the next. But there can be that, that kind of personal pride for those that maybe have wealth and status or royalty or whatever it might be to think I'm good. I don't need God. I've done pretty well on my own. And so God says, I'm not looking for someone that thinks they have it all together, right? Even Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous. Even those who think I, I have everything put together, I came to save sinners. I came to save those who realize that they need me. And oftentimes those who are poor, not, it doesn't, this is not saying that, you know, all poor people are, are, are gonna come to Christ and are saved. But there is a reality that Jesus talks about in other places. Luke chapter six, verse 20 and 24. These are in the same passage, but two separate verses. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now we need to understand things in the light of the times that they are written, oftentimes in scripture, those who are described to be rich aren't those who just have money, but it's those who are trusting in their money. It's those who are trusting in their possessions over anything else. It's like the rich young ruler, right? That came to Jesus and Jesus, he said, hey, I've been keeping the law. And the rich, and Jesus is like, all right, that's sweet. Why don't you go sell what you have and then follow me? And he's like, I can't do that. And he walked away bitterly. He walked away sad because he had great possessions and he was not willing to give it up to follow Jesus. Now, does that mean that you can't be rich and follow Jesus? Of course not. Now, that's not what scripture teaches. There's many wealthy men in scripture, right? Even the man who was able to take Jesus off the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, had to be a wealthy man for he had a tomb uh, that he was able to put Jesus in. And in that day, if you had a family tomb in that way, you had the bucks, all right? You had the money. And so he was able to honor Jesus's death because he had money. God's not against you having money. God's against you having the God of money. And oftentimes it's, it's resistance. And so God chooses people oftentimes uh, that, that need him. Now, we know, as we talked about, God's, God's wanting everyone to come. Uh, he's calling everyone but those who often come have to, uh, have to at least step over the obstacle. You see, Matthew 19, 24, Jesus describes that riches, wealth, is actually an obstacle that you have to be able to step over to get to Jesus, that maybe someone who doesn't, doesn't have that obstacle. They, they, someone who maybe ha doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a lot of wealth, they're like, yeah, I mean, my, my life's terrible here. Uh, I, I don't want it to be terrible in eternity, uh, I'm going to follow Jesus or whatever the, the cause may be, of course. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. All that to say is that it is a big obstacle. Uh, and you and I who live in a prosperous nation, I don't think, sometimes I think we take for granted that it is an obstacle according to scripture. It's not the fact that it's evil, but it's the fact that 
that, that because of our sin nature, it is a pull. And so he says, look, God's, God's looking for those who are humble. God's looking for those who, who need him and want him. And so he, he then gives uh, the reality. Look there in verse six. He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. And this is where it gets personal. He's not saying in general, look in verse six, he says, you have dishonored the poor man. You have disgraced him. You have treated them shamefully. The, the readers of the book of James, they were doing this. Maybe not everyone collectively, but this was something that was going on in their church. And so he says, he goes on here and the, the rest of this little section, he says, this doesn't even make sense. He says, you've disgraced the poor man, but it is the rich man who oppress you, who drag you into court. Look at verse six and seven, who drag you to court, who blaspheme the name who you are. No, he brings up this fact that treating people differently isn't even a logical thing to do, that it doesn't even make sense. And so often favoritism isn't even beneficial for us, though we often do it for selfish reasons. We want this person to treat us better. Or, or we, we know that this person, you know, this person knows, knows someone. And so, you know, we, we'd want favor. Oh, they know the pastor. And so uh, we, should, we should treat them differently. Uh, this happens with, with me at times as being a pastor here on staff. Now, little do they know, Pastor Jack is really good about not showing favoritism. And though I'm a pastor on staff, that ain't, that ain't mean nothing. Uh, that doesn't mean I have some special access and, uh, and whatever, whatever it means. And it's good. And there's a good example here. But sometimes I, I have experienced even being treated differently because I'm a pastor at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. Whoop-de-doo. That means I'm the servant of all. Yet we, that this type of thinking and mentality can so creep its way in the church. Or maybe, maybe you know a student who's, who's related to, to someone of, of what it would look like of, of high status here at the church. And so you, you want to befriend them and treat them differently or whatever. And whatever area that might look like, we, we can often fall into it. But at the end of the day, God knows what he's talking about when he says, just don't treat people differently. Treat everyone the same, how I would treat them, loving, caring, kind, and of course, good-hearted. And so uh, he, he lays out that. And then finally in this section, and this will be our concluding point, is the law and judgment, the law and judgment in verses eight through 13. And uh, we, we read it, we read this whole passage, of course, in the beginning, uh, but I want to read it once more because this last section, it becomes a little dicey. Uh, there's some parts of the Bible that you read and it's really clear, right? You're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. God loved the world, gave his only son, super clear. There's other parts that you're like, wait, what's being said? Like, what's he talking about? For me, when I was studying this week, I was reading verse 8 through 13, and I was like, wait, what, what's James talking about? So I had to go back and read it. So I'm going to read it one more time to you. Okay, he says, in, all, in this context of what we just, just talked about, playing favorites, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. That's a good thing. Loving your neighbor as yourself, yes? But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, what is the one point that he's talking about stumbling? 
It's the sin of favoritism, right? He says you commit sin if you show favoritism. And so you can keep every other law, but if you play favorites, you, you're guilty of the law. And he says, for he who said does not, do not commit adultery, who said do not commit adultery? God said that, yes? Then he said, also said, do not murder. Who said do not murder? God said, same, same person. Now, if you do not commit adultery, that's good, but you do, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law, a lawbreaker. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, so after bringing up this basic logic of it doesn't even make sense what you're doing, he brings in the law. Okay, he brings in the reality of law and judgment. And notice there in verse eight, he refers to something as the royal law, uh, which is the second greatest commandment according to Jesus. First greatest commandment is what? Starts with an L. Love. Yeah, love the Lord your God. There you go. Okay, and the second, Jesus says, is like it, meaning not, not that it's less than, but it's, it's, it's a result of. Second is what we just read in verse eight. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Second greatest commandment is known, these two are known as the royal law. And he says, if you do that, you do well. Why? It's the royal law because it rules all other laws. All other laws come out of the reality of love, okay? That's why Romans 13, verse 10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so he says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, good. But showing partiality is the opposite and is the absolute breaking of the commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not doing that. Contrary to the royal law, the second greatest commandment is showing partiality. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. Look at verse nine. He says, if you commit partiality, favoritism, then you commit sin. And he says, and you are a transgressor, a breaker of the law. A transgressor, transgressor is a person who goes beyond what they were supposed to, oversteps, a violator. With this type of sin, it's not an accident. It's you know what the line is, but you cross it anyway. And we can often do this. And it seems that James is kind of making no room for conclusion of, look, this is sin. It's literally the opposite and contrary to the, the royal, the greatest commandment ever given. And he says there, look at verse 10. He says, for, for whoever shall keep the whole law. So let's say you keep the entire law, but you break one point, stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And this makes sense, right? And this is a, this is a principle, not just for the sin of favoritism, but, but all the others. Someone's put it like this before, that if you suspend a man by a cliff with a chain with 10 different links, okay? He, he's, he's, if, if that chain breaks, he's falling off the cliff, okay? What if you only break one of the links? What's happening? He falls. What if you break three of the links? He falls. The idea is that the law of God is not something that, well, I kept this one. Yeah, but you broke that one, so you're a lawbreaker. That there's this cohesiveness. It, it, some would see the law as a single piece of clothing 
that even if, you know, imagine this shirt that I was wearing, if I had a rip on the arm, you would say that shirt is ripped. But I'd be like, no, no, the whole shirt isn't ripped. And you're like, yeah, but, it, but it's a ripped shirt. Why? Because this is considered a singular piece of clothing. And God's law is considered a singular law that's summed up in loving God and loving your neighbor. And so if you break one part of it, you're a lawbreaker. There's no, well, I didn't do that. You're, you're a lawbreaker. It's that simple. You know, if someone gets a wound in the arm, they are considered wounded. Like, yeah, but it was only my hand was cut off. Like, dude, you're wounded. And because why? Because you are a singular person. You see, the law of God works in the same way. And so James, this, James talks about this and the way he says, look, the same God who says don't cheat on your spouse is the same God who says don't murder. And so even if you, even if you don't cheat on your spouse, that's good. But you murder someone, you're a lawbreaker. Now, what's the point of James saying all this? See, James brings up the reality of the judgment that we all experience before Christ. Now, thankfully, Jesus fulfilled the law for us because we couldn't do it, because we did break the commandments. And so that's where verse 12 comes in. He says, because, of, because you know how the law works, look at verse 12, it's very important. This is the point of application for you and I. He says, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of what? Liberty, the law of liberty. See, you and I are no longer judged by the law of transgressors. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled that law for us. And so because of this, we should live differently. We are not living seeking to keep the law. We have the law of liberty, meaning that we have the ability to be freed from the law of sin and liberty not to sin. And, and we must be aware of how we live, so speak and so do, because of the law of liberty. And then he gets there in verse 13, he gets into the, the judgment. He says, for judgment is without mercy to those who has shown no mercy. You see, mercy has been shown to us by God, right? And then we must extend that. Jesus says pretty clearly in Matthew 7, he says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it'll be measured back to you. What James is telling us is that when we show personal favoritism towards people, it's evidence of an unmerciful spirit. We don't understand the judgment of God. We don't understand the law of liberty. And if this is the case, then we need to learn what Jesus told us. We need to learn what mercy is. Jesus says in Matthew 9 and in Matthew 12, he quotes an Old Testament passage twice. Now Jesus quoted a lot of Old Testament scriptures, but when he quotes an Old Testament scripture twice, you wanna listen in. Matthew 9, he says, go, he's speaking to the Pharisees both times. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew 12, 7. But if you have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have condemned, you would not have condemned the guiltless. God says, I desire mercy. 
and out of our lives, we've received mercy. The idea of mercy in scripture is compassion, care, and concern. To show mercy is to not give what you deserve. It, it is to be compassionate. And God says to the Pharisees, you need to go and learn what mercy. You're like, I, I do all these things for God. God says, yeah, but how do you treat people? Because it's always the indicator of your relationship with God. They're always connected. Do you show favorites? Do you play the game? Do you treat people differently because of outward appearances, whether it's for your personal benefit or whatever things that you might think? See, mercy triumphs over judgment. But so often, we can put ourselves in the place of God and make quick judgments about people. But Jesus says, mercy boasts against, triumphs over judgment. And so what we learn from this passage is how much God cares how we treat people. That there would be a difference from the world the way does it. That you and I would be full of mercy compassion, care, and concern, and never make judgments about people when God says, they're whom I died for. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, this is convicting for all of us, because uh, Lord, all of us ha have, have been guilty of this in one way or another. Lord, but we want to have your heart we want to have your, your view and your perspective on the people around us. Lord, that the people that we encounter, that we wouldn't just sh brush off. Lord, but we would acknowledge every person we come into contact with, and especially within the house of God, within, Lord, the church. Lord, we pray specifically for this room that this sin of showing partiality would not exist in this place, would not be a reality. Lord, that, uh, of course, we don't have to all be friends with everyone, but we should be friendly. Lord, we should be willing to, to step outside what we're used to. And rather than making quick judgments on how someone looks or how someone speaks or, or where they might come from or who they might are, Lord, would we have your heart? Would we be people that show mercy, that love mercy, that we would do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Lord, teach us what that looks like, what that means in our life. Well, we know that you would prefer that, that before we, we raise our hands in worship, before we give that tithe money, before we serve you, that we would show mercy. Before you want sacrifice, you desire mercy, compassion, care. Lord, would you put that in our hearts? Because Lord, naturally, sinfully, it's not there. But we know by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can do these things in our life. And so we give you them, that we might not be hearers of the word, but doers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.